Yes, Father, we thank you that we can worship you and say the gospel changes everything. The turning point in history. And so, Father, we thank you that we can worship you and thank you for what Jesus has done for us through song. And right now, as we come to your holy word, as we ponder again your words afresh, as we open up the book of Daniel to what you have to say to us, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will take these precious moments, that you will guard us from distractions, that you'll help our hearts and our minds to once again be focused upon what you want to say. And Father, we give thanks to you that we do not just hear words, but your Holy Spirit takes your gospel and changes our lives. So Father, do your work of regeneration in our hearts and give us faith to trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Growing up in Singapore, we used to live on top of a shop house, a row of shop houses. Our front yard was a huge parking lot. Singapore was, and still is, a very superstitious country. Every July, the owners of the shop houses would seal up the parking lot, and they would set up chairs and even a stage there on the parking lot. Almost every night, there would be Chinese opera that would be running every night in July, and people in the neighborhood would come to watch and shop as well uh, in the area. You see, July is what is often called the Hungry Ghost Festival. Many people in Singapore believe that during this month, the gates of hell would be open. And this would then cause the spirits of the dead to come out of the gates of hell and they'll be roving around the city. So to prevent them from harming people, the Chinese opera was set up to distract these ghosts. And on top of this, people will burn paper money, paper Mercedes Benz, paper Rolex watches, paper mistresses for your dead uh, grandfather to enjoy. They will burn all these for the dead. I remember as a boy, I always looked at those uh, paper sports cars that they used to burn for the dead. And I always wanted so much to play with these sports cars, these miniature paper-made sport cars. And neighbors would prepare all kinds of food and they would uh, offer these to the ghosts that would come up at the ghost uh, festival months. Sometimes elaborate meals, often vegetarian meals, would be prepared and served on empty chairs as if the dead was present to eat with the family. And towards the end of the month, at the close of the Hungry Ghost Festival, people will usually go to the lake or to the river, and they would release paper boats or lanterns on the water as a way of guiding the spirits back to into the gates of hell. And that would usually end the Hungry Ghost Festival. Many of our neighbors were extremely and downright superstitious. Although we do not live in such a society and a culture anymore, many people in our modern day society are still tyrannized by superstition. In my previous church, there was an elderly lady that used to bring flowers to church every Sunday morning and leave them at the altar. 
I always thought that was such a beautiful gesture of worship until I visited her at her home. And then she began to talk about why she would bring these flowers to church every Sunday morning. She brings them not as a gesture of thanksgiving to God, but she brings these flowers and puts them at the altar of the church as a superstitious way of getting God to protect her so that her week would run on smoothly as long as she gives some flowers to God and plays them at the church altar. And there was another lady who felt that she needs to give some money to beautify the church so that God would grant success because her family and herself were applying for immigration visa, that God would somehow bless them if they were to contribute. And there was another man who would have his uh, verses of scripture pasted on his car. And if you ask him why, he says that would help him prevent getting into an accident. We still lived in many ways in a society that's tyrannized by superstition. There are many people who do their quiet time in the day so that why? Not because they want to learn more about God's word, but they do it so that they will have a smooth running day. In 1972, Stevie Wonder had a number one hit song called Superstition. And Stevie Wonder sings, When you believe in things that you don't understand, then you suffer. Superstition ain't the way. Stevie Wonder was right on this one thing, that superstition ain't the way. If we were to sum up what our text for this morning, Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 to 19 is about, I think it would be what Stevie Wonder would say, that superstition ain't the way. You see, by the time we come to Daniel chapter 2, we are deeply into the culture of Babylon. And Babylon, ancient Babylon, was a very superstitious culture in the book of Daniel. Babylon is currently situated about 94 kilometers southwest of modern-day uh, Baghdad in Iraq. And uh, uh, by the time we come to Daniel chapter 2, we are deep in the culture of Babylon. And there is something very interesting about Daniel chapter 2, and that is Daniel chapter 2 begins switching in languages. When we study the, the, uh, the Old Testament, most of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. I remember when we were studying Hebrew in Bible college, our professor used to say to us, Greek may be the language of the gods, but Hebrew as the language of the one and only true God. So guys, study hard because you are studying the language of the one and true God. And the Hebrew was the language that most of the Old Testament is written. It's God's language for Israel. However, by the time we come to Daniel chapter 2, especially at verse 4, right until Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, the language abruptly changes from Hebrew to Aramaic, or more precisely, Imperial Aramaic, which was the language of the Babylonians. Daniel becomes the one of only two books in the Bible to be written in two languages, Hebrew and Aramaic. Do you know what is the other book that's written in both Hebrew and Aramaic? 
Because some of you who are more learned may remember that the other book is the book of Ezra. The book suddenly changes in language. Why? Because God loves the Babylonians and He loves them enough to speak their language, Aramaic. That's why from chapter 2 verse 4 onwards until chapter 7, the Bible here changes its language to Aramaic. But not only that, God not only loves the Babylonians enough to speak the language, chapter 2 brings us right into the private bedroom of the king of Babylon. And we are told here in, chapter, in verse 1 of chapter 2 that the king of Babylon, by the name of King Nebuchadnezzar, had insomnia. He couldn't sleep in the night. Why? Verse 1 tells us because he had a dream. And verse 2 tells us that the king began to summon magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamt. You see, the king of Babylon was a very superstitious man. Not only was the whole culture of Babylon very superstitious, but the king was very superstitious. He was surrounded by four different types of diviners. They were the, his magicians, his enchanters, his sorcerers, and his astrologers. All four different words to describe four different officers. People there to feed the king's superstition. So the king was an extremely superstitious man, believed in dreams, believed in omens and things like that. But yet God wants to speak to the king in the midst of his superstition. I want to look at this passage in a little de detail. And we want to ask the question, why? Why are people superstitious? Why are we superstitious? From this passage, we can discern three reasons why people are superstitious. Number one, we are superstitious because we want to be in control. King Nebuchadnezzar was superstitious because he wants control. He wants to know what his future entails. So when he received this dream at night and he couldn't sleep, he wants it to be interpreted immediately. So verse 3, he says, he said uh, to these people, I have a dream that troubles me. I want to know what it means. The king is very determined. He wants to have control. He, he's superstitious because he wants to have control. He wants to know what this dream means. And when these diviners, these magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers, could not tell the king the dream, the king got really upset. If you look at verse 5, the language becomes very controlling and desperate. So if you have a Bible, look with me at verse 5. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly, firmly <laughs> decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. And then in verse 12, we're told that the king got really angry and furious because these diviners could not tell the king what the dream was, lest even to interpret the dream. Why was the king so desperate to, for these uh, diviners to tell him his dream? Why was he angry when they couldn't tell? Because he wants to be in control. You really can't blame the king 
because that was the culture of the time. If you want to be the king, you need to have command over the supernatural. That gives you power, that gives you control. You see, archaeologists have unearthed a document that's written in the 3rd century BC. A document written by a priest of Babylon called Borosos. Borosos is an ancient uh, priest in the ancient Babylon. And he tells us a story that was very prevalent in the culture of Babylon. The people in Babylon believed that there was a, there was a demigod by the name of Onest. Ones was a demigod that came to prehistoric Babylon. And he sent seven other demigods after him. And these demigods told the ancient people the mysteries of the gods and how they had to live. But when Ones imparted to humans all this knowledge and wisdom, he left a huge part of it that was untold. And according to the gods of Babylon, especially the god Ah, uh, uh, this mystery of knowledge that's yet to be told to the people of ancient Babylon will come and will be revealed to who the king aspires, who the king esteems. He will, the, the, whoever the, the, the gods fancy, the gods will reveal to these people through dreams, through omens, the will and the mysteries of the gods. So naturally, if you were the king at the time, you want to be favored by the gods, right? If I were King Nebuchadnezzar, and this is my culture, um, I want to be favored by the gods. I want to be the one in control to be able to tell and interpret dreams. That gives me, that shows that I'm the true king of Babylon. That shows that I'm an anointed by the gods because I have this power to interpret dreams. Are we the same way too? Some of us bring flowers to church because we want control over our future. We want our week to run well. That's why we bring flowers to church. We do our quiet time because we want our day to run smoothly. We want control over our days. Some people put rosaries on their cars. Why? Because they want their future to be secured so that they would not end up in a car accident. Some people do things out of superstition. Why? Because we want control over the future. We are scared of the unknown and we don't want to relinquish control to God. But one thing that the book of Daniel teaches us is that we are not in control. We are not in control, but God is. The book of Daniel, especially here in chapter 2, God is known by two appellations, two titles. The first is found in chapter 2, verse 18. God is called the God of heaven. God is not just the God of the Hebrews. God is not just the God of the Babylonians. God is the God of heaven. He controls everything that happens across this entire cosmos. Many people often ask me, what is spiritual maturity? I think a big sign of spiritual maturity is the ability to let God be in control in our own lives. 
and to be ruled less and less by our circumstances and our emotions. Stevie Wonder was right. Superstition ain't the way. Because superstition insists that we have control. But we are not. God is the God of heaven. He's the one that's in control. Number two, why are we superstitious? Not only we want to be in control, but secondly, we don't believe in the Bible. We are superstitious because we don't believe in the promises of God's revealed in Scripture. So we need extra promises. I remember one time there was a rainbow outside of our church. And two of our ladies, who were extremely superstitious, were really excited about this. They spent weeks deciphering what that rainbow meant. They were quarreling among themselves, they were discussing among themselves what the rainbow meant. Later, they came to the conclusion that God has great promises for the church. But hasn't God promised such promises that He has great plans for His church in Scripture? Why are we more excited over a rainbow than the promises of God? I'm not saying that God doesn't reveal signs to us, but sometimes we are more excited about the signs than the promises of God that has already been given to us. Why? Because ultimately we don't believe in the promises of God. As you read through the book of Daniel, I don't know about you, but there is a ring of familiarity in these stories, these narratives of Daniel. And I hope you've been reading through the book of Daniel as we are expounding this book over the next few months. Just as Daniel, for instance, has been described as one without blemish and good in appearance, you'll find that this, all this description of Daniel has a ring of familiarity. Because Joseph, in the book of Genesis, has also been described in the same way as Daniel, in, Dan in Genesis chapter 39, verse 6, just as Daniel was described as somebody who was handsome, Joseph was also described as someone who was handsome, informed, and appearance. Genesis 36, 39, verse 6. And just as Daniel was held as a captive in a foreign land, Joseph in Genesis 39 was also held as a captive in the foreign land of Egypt. Just as Daniel had the Spirit of God living in him, as we will be told in chapter 4, verse 8, Joseph also has, has been said as, as one who possesses the Spirit of God in Genesis chapter 41, verse 38. And just as Daniel, according to chapter 2, verse 1, started interpreting dreams in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Joseph, in the book of De in Genesis chapter 41, verse 1, also started interpreting dreams for Pharaoh two years after Pharaoh's first dream. Just as Nebuchadnezzar called his, uh, his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers to interpret his dream, Pharaoh also had dreamed and he also invited his magicians and his wise men to interpret his dreams in Genesis chapter 41 verse 8. And just as Nebuchadnezzar's wise uh, astrologers, enchanters could not interpret or even tell what the king's dream was. Likewise, the wise men of Pharaoh could not. Why is there so much similarities between Daniel and Joseph in the book of Genesis? It was God's way of reminding Daniel 
what is what has happened in the past in the life of Joseph in your Bible is not just a cutesy little story it is the truth and the truth repeats itself over time just as Joseph went through the same trials in a foreign land being pressured by a foreign king to interpret dreams Daniel God is telling him you will be undergo the same things you will be in a foreign land you'll be pressured to interpret dreams for the king why why are there so much similarities it's a way of God telling Daniel the scriptures in the past, in the book of Genesis, is not just a cutesy Sunday school story. They are my promises and they still apply to you today. The promises and the experiences that Joseph went through are so similar to yours because they are happening to you right now. Those promises in the book of Genesis still apply to you today the same God behind Joseph is the same God behind Daniel and the same God behind us here in Australia today the trials that Joseph went through the trials that Daniel went through and the trials we go through still happen today the stories of scriptures are truths that keep happening and keep applying themselves to us today. What does this mean to us? It means the scripture has been written, not just as stories to entertain us, but these stories contains promises that still speak to us today. The story of Joseph still spoke to Daniel in his time, and the stories of Joseph and Daniel still speak to our times today. The Bible is full of God's promises and signs to us as to how we should have loved Him. We don't need to be excited about rainbows and all these external signs. Yes, God can still speak to them, but our main excitement still needs to be the promises of God. People are ultimately superstitious because they don't believe that these promises still apply to us today. Marty Sampson is an Australian songwriter and worship leader. He had written some gorgeous worship songs for Hillsong Worship and United. The beautiful God-centered songs used in worship. But recently, Marty Sampson shocked people over Instagram when he says that he's no longer a Christian. And one of his complaints is that nobody ever talks about issues, like why, where, why there is suffering in this world, why a loving God sends people to hell, why is there poverty, and so forth. And because he, he, he couldn't find any answers, he decided there was no God and that, that this is just... This is just a made-up God. But my response to Marty Sampson is this. God has. God has spoken to all these issues that Marty Sampson has. God has spoken about these issues like sin, sufferings, hell, and all these in Scripture. 
God's answers may not be the answers you want, but God has spoken. And God, over the years, the thousands of years, have engaged His church and equipped His church to engage in these issues. God has already spoken. It's that we are not listening. And ultimately, we are superstitious because we want to listen to insignificant voices. We're more excited about rainbows than the Word of God. In the book of Daniel, God is known by two appellations. The first is that God is known as the God of heaven, but He's also known in chapter 2, verse 23, as the God of my ancestors. Why? The God who speaks to ancestors, whether it's Daniel or Joseph, is still our same God today. As God has spoken to people in the past in Scripture, God still speaks to us. The things that happened to Joseph, the things that happened to Daniel, the promises to them are still our promises today. Let's get excited over God's Word more than the little rumblings around us. Stevie Wonder was right. Superstition ain't the way the Bible is. Thirdly, why are we superstitious? Not only because we do not disbe we disbelieve the promises of God, but we, that thirdly, we are superstitious because we despise and seriously mock the power of prayer. We despise and seriously mock the power of prayer. The reason why we're superstitious is because we really mock the power of prayer. We don't really believe it. We want to place a bunch of flowers in the church. We want a bunch of flowers in the church to determine our future. We want bumper stickers to protect us. We want rainbows to assure us of God's protection. But we don't want to ask God to do all of that for us. King Nebuchadnezzar was a superstitious man. He was surrounded by magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers. But do you know what? Though they were called diviners, none of them actually prayed. None of them actually prayed. Even they were threatened to be cut to pieces. Even when they were threatened that their house would turn into rumble, they did not pray. And they were called the diviners. Why? Because they despise and mock the power of prayer. We would rather place our trust in a bunch of flowers, in bumper stickers, rainbows, than actually asking God to protect us. Look at Daniel. When Daniel knew that the king was angry and furious because these diviners could not tell the king his dream, what did Daniel do? Look with me here in our text for this morning. Look at verse 17. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Verse 18. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision, and Daniel praised the God of heaven. Daniel is the only person in this group of what is called wise men who pray. 
In fact, he prays twice, at least twice, in this chapter alone. Why? Because Daniel knew the power of pleading before the God of heaven. He did not despise or mock the power of prayer. He knew that God is looking and that God is looking for men and women who are weak enough to believe in the power of prayer. Look, we are all polite people. We all know what to say, what not to say. Although we may not say it, but our actions prove it. Many of us seriously mock the power of prayer. We would rather look to a rainbow. We would rather look to a talisman. We would rather look to a, a, a bumper sticker to assure us of tomorrow than to seek God for protection, than to seek God for Him to work in our lives. But not Daniel. Daniel pleaded to the God of heavens. One of my favorite books is written by James Hudson Taylor. It's called A Retrospect. This book is already under public domain, so you can actually download the book for free, or you can actually listen to the entire book in LibriVox uh, recording. And Hudson Taylor was a missionary in China. In fact, he was one of the fathers of the modern missionary movement. But before he left for China, he was saving up to go. And he saved up by working as an assistant to a doctor in Drainside in England. The doctor he worked with uh, said to young Hudson Taylor at the time, Taylor, please remind me when it's time for me to pay your salary. I'm a busy man and I'm always quick to forget. And in fact, the doctor did forget many times. But Hudson Taylor remembered that if he were to go to China as a missionary, he would have no one to ask for anything except for God. So he wanted to train himself up. He decided not to ask this doctor that he was working for, for money. That he would tell God and plead with the God of mercy, uh, the God of heaven for money, for his salary, rather than to talk to the doctor. So three weeks later, after he was supposed to be paid, the doctor then finally remembered but that was only after he had banked in the money into the bank. Nelson Taylor was broke at this time. He wasn't paid his salary and was late for three years. It was a Saturday night and Hudson Taylor knew that there was no food at home. And he knew that a week of hunger laid in front of him. And he had also to pay his monthly rent too. And that night being a Saturday night, he knew that his landlady was coming to the, to the surgery, to the clinic, to collect her rent. And Hudson Taylor walked until 10 a.m., 10 p.m. that evening, and was waiting for her, his landlady to come to collect the rent. But the landlady didn't show up, and Hudson Taylor was relieved a little bit, and so he closed up the surgery, the clinic, at 10 o'clock that night. And just as he was about to walk out of the clinic, 
as he was about to open the door, the doctor that he was working for surprised him by saying, Do you know what? There was a rich patient that came to pay his bill. He's one of the richest patients and he came to, dro to drop his check here tonight at 10 in the evening. And he's bringing in money. And so I can pay you, Taylor, for your salary and the rest I will make it up to you the next week. And with that, the doctor said goodnight to Hudson Taylor. Susan Taylor was walking home that night, was thinking to himself, who pays the medical bills, especially rich men, at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night? Who would do that? And Hudson Taylor knew that God was behind this. After pleading before God, for his salary, even without even speaking to the doctor, God was working overtime on his behalf, securing his pay for Hudson Taylor. That night, Hudson Taylor felt and knew the power of answered prayers, the power of pleading before the God of heaven. Many a times we were rather look to people, we'll rather look to rainbows, rather look to flowers for the assurance of what tomorrow brings. But Stevie Wonder is right. Superstition ain't the way. Let's be more bold. Let's not look to flowers, bumper stickers, help let's plead before the God of heaven let's come on our knees before his presence let's plead with the God of heaven yes there is no one we can talk to but the God of heaven. He's not just the God here in Australia, not just the God of this city. He's the God of heaven. The whole cosmos belongs to him. Let's complete before him. And let's not mock the power of prayer. Father, we come to you, the God of heaven, the God who made this heaven and earth, and we plead our case before you. We will not plead with any human beings. We will not plead with any flowers or any bumper stickers, but Father, we plead before the God of heaven. That, Father, you take care of your people, of your children. Father, how foolish it is when we depend so much on others. We depend so much upon ourselves. We depend so much on frivolous things that happen in this world. And we do not depend upon you. So, Father, with a contrite heart, with a heart that's been filled with faith that you have given to us. We humbly come before you this morning and plead before you, 
the God of heaven, as Daniel did, reveal, Lord, your truth against to us, that we will be filled again with wonder and the excitement of what you can do. So, Father, make us weak, make us poor in spirit, and make us humble, that we may plead before you the God of heaven. In Jesus' name.